Seinfeld, the race is over, but we are just getting started here on the Seinfeld Post Show Recap, a podcast about nothing. And now, here are the two guys who have never been blacklisted at Hop Sings. I'm Rob Sister. Here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? Two guys who never lost their virginity to Miss Stafford. <laughs> two guys who never say, I choose not to podcast. That's right. Although we don't do a lot of running. No, no. You, you Often actually run. choose not to run. You run. Not really. Don't you jog or something? I have jogged, but I would not say that I do jog. I probably. Oh, I thought you were a runner. I, I no, take it back. No, no. I probably have not jogged since October, November at this point. But at one point you were a runner. I'm not making this up. I never was like a distance runner or anything like that, but I might do like a jog to warm up for, you know, doing some exercise or I might like on an off. Day. If I was really like on the ball, maybe on a day where I wasn't doing a workout, I might go f- and just like, you know, run around for 15 minutes. I have all these friends who hit me up for the, uh, you know the charity marathons oh but I, yeah. I and their their whole lives are just half marathon and full marathon running and yeah people think that mar- like marathon running is a personality now it's not <laughs> yeah it's a big, it's a big deal if people get really into it uh yeah i'm not a runner yeah I, 5k is my max i've done 5ks that's yeah it. i think it charity just 5k walk keeps you from totally like going into some sort of like unhealthy binge i think it's sort of like oh no you just got to stay on stay on target for the marathon yeah, to, to me, it's just like there's I would rather if I'm going to run, it has to be on a treadmill because why would I run and not watch TV if I could run and watch TV? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I used to run and play video games, but then like the cord would get caught like one every hundred times. Well, yeah. And longtime listeners know Akiva is a treadmill guy. He even had a treadmill in his room at one point. Oh, yeah. I forgot that was a weird thing because to me, that's how I grew up. So it was normal. Yeah. All right. So we're here to talk about not walking on a treadmill, but running in a race in the holiday special episode of Seinfeld 1994, where Jerry dates Lois and chooses not to run. Meanwhile, George is mistaken as a communist at the Yankee organization. And also Elaine is uh, dating a communist. Uh, Yeah, it's uh, episode 96. So we're getting there, directed by Andy Ackerman. And they have the teleplay story. I don't know the differences, but I'm sure it's a lot of money in residuals. Uh, Gamble and Prost did both, but Larry LD had the teleplay, and a guy named uh, Sam Cass also had the story credit. I guess that's probably been worth a lot of money to him over the years. And I was thinking, um, like we did the soup a few weeks ago. Yes. And I ranked my favorite soup. So do I get to rank my favorite races at the end of this episode? <laughs> well, hold on a second. Let me just uh, drill down a little further. You are sure. talking about uh, like marathons. Oh, yeah, yeah, like Ben oh, okay. Johnson, 1988. Right, I wasn't uh, sure. Kathy Freeman. Well, what do you think I was talking about? I thought about? this was like some sort of David Duke type list. That oh, you no, 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 okay. no, no. Good. Good. All right. Well, that's very happy. I'm very happy to hear. But do you want to do you have a list of uh, of running competitions that you want to go? No, ahead? it was just a joke to make you nervous for a second. OK, <laughs> no. Well, it made me really nervous. It made me more yes, nervous, good, I think, good. than you intended. <laughs> Okay, so Akiva, do you have any news items from this week? Well, I I don't have a a straight, like, hardcore news item, but I want to analyze a tweet of Jerry Seinfeld this week. Okay. Jerry did something he rarely does, and he tweeted uh, about the show. Oh. Um, I also, he, like, he at-replied a couple people. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, oh, this would be a perfect, like, now I know he's checking his replies. This would be a perfect time to, like, you know, jump in there and be like, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? Yeah. 
but I, I didn't do it. Timing is everything. So they did a profile of Jerry looking for like some pair of jeans that he couldn't find. His favorite pair of jeans. GQ did a profile. Okay. So he tweets, comedy tip. If Jerry and George are cool in any way, the show's over. Love GQ, but cool is comedy poison. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. So I feel like he, it's such a, it, like, there are definitely comics who go for the cool thing, especially now. Yeah. It's funny that that's his take. Like, uh, you know, do, are, do you know Anthony Jeselnik at all? Yes. So Jeselnik. Most of Last Comic Standing 2015. Yes. Uh, he has gone on so, you know, the record so many times with how much he hated it. He's actually done a few. I, don't, I didn't watch that uh, season, but he's, mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's told some funny podcast stories about, like, how uh, antagonistic he was towards the show. Yes. Um, so anyway, so he who like disagrees with everything Jerry says and is probably my favorite active comedian, or, you know, in my top five uh, currently, uh, like, but his thing is that he's cool and good looking. Yeah. Uh, so it's just funny that like it's another thing that sort of these two schools of thought uh, diverge on. But I don't know if like Jerry is cool to me. Jerry always was cool to me. He's a he's a comedian who has a new girlfriend every week and he's got money and he's got like three really good friends. When I was a kid, that seemed cool. I don't I don't know if. Like, I guess in his mind, he wasn't cool. Yeah. I think that maybe there is like varying degrees of it. I think that probably that they did look at him and try to make him look good, but he was never seen as sort of like the macho type guy. No, he's not like a super alpha male, but he, I mean, obviously George isn't cool and Kramer is not classically cool, but I, Mm -hmm. I hear what he's saying, but it was just interesting. Like that, that's his take on like. If they make Jerry 5% cooler, it's not funny, which I hear what he's saying. I do think sometimes shows like Happy Endings or something like miss with the lead that he doesn't have like he has. You have to be like likable, but uh, you have to lose a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you have to be self-deprecating. And I guess Jerry was that, uh, which is interesting. Actually, I didn't mean to tie it together, but like this is one of the very rare episodes where Jerry really wins. He doesn't lose at all. Yeah, it's really a very happy ending for Jerry here. One of the really one of the only ones. And there's a few we'll get to it later. But there's a few wacky things that really never happen in another episode that I want to talk about. OK. All right. Well, let's get into the race here and talk about a very fun episode. I really did enjoy this on the rewatch. And let's start off with Jerry's stand up, which he's talking about the holidays this is a holiday themed episode, really only in the Kramer storyline. Uh, talking about how the Christmas tree, people are very fickle, very excited to get the Christmas tree and then very quick to throw it away by the side of the road, looking like a mob hit, Akiva. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, there, there are certain products like that. You know, they ha- they're so time sensitive. And then, you know, the minute that's over, it's like buying a pumpkin the day after Halloween or something. Yeah, I know. It's very tough to do because then I say we spent this money on a pumpkin. Why are we throwing it out so quickly? Yeah, in, in, uh, in Orthodox Judaism, we have this thing called an etrog, which is like this kind of big lemon. An etrog is to- a big lemon. It's like a big lemon. It's a, it's a type of citrus. I don't know what the, I think it's a citrus. I don't know what the, the English name for it is even. Okay. Um, and you don't eat it. You just like, you bring it to synagogue for a week, but it's really expensive. It could be like 80 bucks, but literally the minute the holiday's over, it's garbage. And like, even though it's, it's, the, it hasn't gone bad, but you, it won't last a year. So it's not like you could pull one of those things where like, you know, the day after Halloween, you buy the Halloween costume for your kid for the next year. Okay. So it's like 80 bucks, but you literally like, you know, it's it's literally garbage the second the holiday's over. Uh, and, you know, you're just like throwing them on the floor. In the hey, synagogue or whatever. When life gives you etrogs, make etrog aid. 
Well, that's exactly what people do. I think people are like, "Hey, I spent eighty bucks for this. I gotta." I, they turn into they make some sort of like lemon thing with it, but I've never yeah. done that. Kids are opening up etrog stands all over the. I don't place. know about that. I don't. I don't. I don't think it tastes so good. Okay. All right. So this episode ends up starting with Jerry at the office of his brand new girlfriend Lois. Other than the name, what do you think of Lois here? Jerry's new squeeze. No lemon pun intended. I kind of like her. By the way, I talked to Lois uh, yesterday. Do you talk to the actress? I talked to the actress on Twitter. Renee We'll, we'll get Props. to that a little later. Okay. Well, whoa. What a tease. Um, uh, but um, I, I kind of liked her. I, you know, we never see her again. I kind of like Lois. Uh, of course, this is a small town, Manhattan. So, you know, her boss is Jerry's high school friend mm-hmm. or enemy. Yeah. Duncan Meyer. Are you anti-Lois or pro-Lois? I didn't think she did anything exciting for me. I felt like no. That. They, well, she wasn't given heavy lifting, but I kind of just thought she was likable. Yeah. So no major negative traits for her either. She's just kind of there. She's just sort of like a foil to get into this story. Where here is Duncan Meyer. Very unusual name for Duncan Meyer to show up. I like Dun- I like the name Duncan Meyer. Duncan Myers. Yeah. It's kind of a '90s name, Duncan, but I, I don't mind the name Duncan. Yeah. For kid number three, Duncan Sesternino. <laughs> sure. So. Here he is, and he went to high school with Jerry and George, and so his whole big thing is that he has a beef with Jerry, and again, this is a very Superman-themed episode between the Lois girlfriend, and this is set up to be an arch nemesis for Jerry. Uh, yeah, this is his uh, Lex something or other? Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor? Yeah. Even though Newman is really traditionally Jerry's arch nemesis for this episode, here he is, Duncan Meyer. Does Superman have a lot of enemies like Batman, or does he just have the one enemy? I think that Batman is more of bad guy of the week, but I think that there are a number of bad guys in the Superman universe as well. I was going to say Lex Luger, but I think that was a wrestler. Yes, that was a wrestler. <laughs> Wait, who was named after who, though? I'm not even sure. <laughs> so then uh, Lois gets told by Duncan when she sees that she's dating Jerry, she has to work late. Uh, yeah, but it's weird because there's no tension. You'd think normally they would have made tension between, like, Duncan wants to steal Lois away from Jerry. Yeah, there's no romantic really tension, there, but it's almost like that, hey, what are you doing messing around with my assistant here? No, yeah, Duncan doesn't like the fact that Jerry is dating Lois, but Duncan is not trying to put the moves on Lois either. Right. I would say that it's almost like a father-daughter relationship it's almost like a Mr. Pitt and Elaine type relationship between Duncan and Lois. There's no sort of like sexual tension between Duncan and Lois. Correct. Okay. So Lois asked Jerry if he can come back. Apparently they were all going to go eat the Chinese food at Elaine's apartment. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's almost jarring when, when you're just like randomly in Elaine's apartment. Yeah. You're like, wait, are we at George's? Are we at Elaine's? Where are we? So we end up going to Elaine's apartment. We see Elaine dealing with the delivery man and so we see Elaine, and this is the first time in this apartment, right, that we see her only in her old apartment prior to this? No, um, where did we see her? I think, didn't we see, I don't know if it was this exact apartment a couple weeks ago, but we did see her in a apartment, so it probably was, I don't know if it's the same set, but it may have been this one. Okay, so here she is in the apartment set, and she's getting Chinese food, and apparently she's upset. She wants to know, where is the chicken cashew? Uh, she saw she didn't order the chicken cashew and she's got a bunch of food that she didn't order. She says she's not paying for it. She ends up getting into sort of a nasty fight with the delivery guy. And so now she finds herself on the do not deliver list. Akiva, have you ever gotten into it with a delivery person? 
I once had a, uh, a like a new Chinese store in Manhattan uh, delivered to me, and then they never came. So after two hours, they sent a second delivery man, and then two delivery men showed up with the exact same two hundred dollar order, mm-hmm. like ten minutes apart, which was the best day of my life because. We had four hundred dollars of Chinese food. Wow, uh, two hundred dollars, <laughs> and I didn't pay for any of it. But I, but um, uh, but that was like the the restaurant's fault. Just like this is the restaurant's fault. Elaine did nothing wrong here. Yeah, but Elaine is really getting into it with this guy, and so I guess she pushes back too hard and ends up on the do not deliver list. Yeah, and she didn't even get the food. It's not like she didn't pay. Like she also doesn't take the food she didn't want. You know, so mm-hmm. she really gets nothing out of this transaction. So George ends up stumbling onto a copy of The Daily Worker, which we find out is a communist tabloid. Is that a real newspaper? I think it was. I think it was. Uh, You know, it's also funny, like, is Ned trying to hide the fact? It was. It doesn't exist anymore. Is Ned trying to hide the fact that that he's a, a communist? Because, like, the paper's right out there. When he's asked, it doesn't be, like, he guts right into that he is a communist, so... It's weird that she doesn't know. Yeah, I don't believe he's trying to hide the fact that he's a communist, but I also don't think that he is sort of just opening up with that. Yeah, but once you open Pandora's box, that's all he can talk about. (laughs) Then, yes, then he really starts to talk about it. It's almost like Elaine was pretty oblivious to miss the signals beforehand about the communistic tendencies of Ned. Right, and why it's not something you'd look for. You know, although maybe only a couple weeks after the pro-choice thing. You'd have to imagine that was one of her first questions now. Yeah. Now, the fact that he's named Ned and they start talking about, well, maybe he's just Red. Is that what the writers were going for, that he's Red Ned? I th- Probably that. that uh, well, they said name. well Red. I don't, it didn't really rhyme with that. I'm not sure. Yeah. Ned is kind of like, a, like uh, there's going to be like eight listeners like, my dad's name is Ned. But I think <laughs> Ned is kind of like a name, like in Groundhog Day, like the nerd's name, right, is yes. Ned. <laughs> All right, so George puts it out there. Hey, maybe he's a communist. And Elaine's like, no, he would have told me if he was a communist. Uh, And George says, well, does he wear drab clothing? And Elaine says, yes, and he's a communist. Yeah, you wear drab clothing, you're a communist. That's it. Elaine doesn't really care. No, it's almost like Elaine is kind of turned on by this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what like what does it matter? I wouldn't care if, if I was dating someone who's a communist. Well, I think it was much more of a taboo thing in the nineties, and I yes. think that extremely taboo going back to the fifties and sixties. But I think it is uh, increasingly less taboo. And I think, as we'll talk about, I do think that, especially considering that you know you read so much about how the millennials love Bernie Sanders and his brand of socialism. I feel like that maybe communism is ripe for a comeback. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to call it communism ever. Again, yeah, socialism, like socialism. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, I like, but it almost died. Like you didn't hear it. until he came. You, you, it was like out of the news completely. Like he brought it back. Yeah. And I have some uh, theories about this, but I feel like that, you know, as the millennials love social media, I think socialism, like why, would, why wouldn't you love socialism if you like social media? That's your theory? That's the word socials in both? <laughs> yes, they, love, uh, they, like, they like social. Want to be social? Anything social. Except, but, but people say that social media is antisocial because, <laughs> I mean, it's not really true. But that you're, that you're not interacting with people on a human level. I think there's some connection between socialism and social media. Now, again, sure, I don't you know. You meet people. I'm not yeah. an economist or anything like that. I'm not sure the differences between socialism and communism, but I think that communism has more of a negative tinge to it, almost like that it's like there's like a corrupt system in power with a dictator in communism as opposed sure. to socialism. Well, let, but 
I even think Bernie Sanders needs to call it something else. Like democratic socialism still sounds like, you know, too much like socialism. Oh, so we need to American salami Um, socialism. Hear about this. American democracy. Boom. You got it. American democracy. Yeah. Well, I think that the, the you're just putting two words together. I don't think that necessarily like democracy, I believe, is like government by the people. It doesn't really speak to any sort of economic policy. Yeah, no, I know. But if you call it American democracy, nobody's like, oh, I don't want to vote for this socialism stuff. <laughs> yeah, but now you're just calling, if, you know, <laughs> you're basically like taking the uh, American salami. You're basically like uh, calling uh, baloney something that it's actually not at all. You're like calling it something like cheesecake. Yeah, no, it's just branding. We just <laughs> if you put the word American in there, people will buy it. Okay. All right. Well, more on that as we go along. It hasn't worked for American salami yet, but well, they haven't tried it yet. Yeah. No, we haven't tried it yet. It hasn't really. We don't have any like produce. We don't have any like deli people who you know. If we had a guy who owns a deli who listens to the podcast and they're willing to try it, that would be a fun experiment. Well, there's no delis in communism. Right. There are no delis in communism, but uh, you know, you do have the bologna and the salami together, which is a whole other story. (laughs) Okay. So. We end up seeing that George notices that there are personal ads in The Daily Worker. And George sees an ad for a woman looking for a like-minded comrade. Yeah. Put this in your memory for what wouldn't happen in 2016. (laughs) What? A like-minded comrade or a personal ad? No, wanted ads in the newspaper. Yeah. You know, they do really seem to lean heavily into, it's almost like that the communists, it's more like that you are sort of like um, adjacent to Russian. I think it's like uh, to be looking for a comrade. I I just feel like that I don't know what the state of communism was like in 1994, but it does feel like they're a little all over the place with it. I agree. I agree. I don't know if there was any communist expert on staff here. (laughs) Also, they're switching between Russia and Cuba. Uh, you know, pretty, you know, haphazardly here. Yes. All right. So Jerry comes in and he explains how Duncan Meyer is Lois's boss. And he get into the whole retelling of the race story. Akiva, we remember, yeah. we find out that Mr. Bevilacqua was the gym teacher. And he ended up with the everybody lined up the day of the big race. And the gun went off and Jerry got a head start, almost like a prodigy at the school because of his running but he always would choose not to run. Uh, anything stand out for you out of the race story, the original story? I like the story. Did I, we had to do this in like third or grade or something. Did you have to do this? Race against the whole school? Yes. I not the school, recall. but maybe my class. Yeah. I believe I came in last in the whole class. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not fast. I was never, I was never, uh, they called me Wheels Wienicker, but I think that was ironic. It was ironic. And also they didn't call me it. <laughs> okay so jerry uh he is always he has never run again and now here is duncan meyer the one person who's always suspected something was up he's back in the picture and we see jerry pour a glass of what appears to be scotch and then uh slams it down uh and then he tells us that it was some tart cider yeah it's funny because you're like oh my god is jerry drinking for a second but yeah he, he's not i really love the story of jerry and duncan it, it is like a realistic story i wonder if something similar happened to jerry or larry yeah uh i had i like i had something similar we had a, a football game in the snow once and at the end of the game like a guy intercepted a pass to win the game this is outside of school uh when it was snowing we went to like the you know the backyard of the school whatever and we were playing on the grass and uh and i like i was nearest you know you like you make your own calls when you're playing in high school so I said the guy didn't intercept it and then we won the game on the next play and then later that day I said you know what I think the ball hit the ground but I, I kind of just wanted to go inside because I was cold 
And this guy, every time he sees me now, like 15 years later, still yells out, Keith cheated at the football game. And wow. like he'll, he'll literally like he would just like post on Facebook and he's doing it jokingly, but like Keith is a cheater. So he's a, he's my Duncan Meyer. Yeah. You were like the uh, pre Mike carry before Mike carry. Yeah. And I also think like they would go to me for even though I was in the game, they would go to me for ref calls because like I, everyone knew I knew a lot about football, mm-hmm. which in hindsight doesn't make any sense. Like like whether I would know that the ball like I got I had final ruling on on like plays because I knew a lot about football, but like my eyes aren't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I shouldn't know if the ball hit the ground or not just because I liked watching football. <laughs> you would know from the reactions. Sure. But uh, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. But, you know, now I know I, I never heard the end of it. Okay, so Jerry goes to pick up Lois and there's sort of some awkward small talk. And finally, Lois uh, blurts out, why did you cheat in that race? Apparently, Duncan has been talking her ear off all night. And Jerry says he did not cheat in the race. He was just that fast. He was the fastest kid in the school. Lois really entertains herself with this whole story. She's like more into it than Jerry or Duncan are. Yeah, she does seem turned on by the fact that Jerry is also very fast. Or, you know, or turned off by the fact that he cheated. She was turned off by the fact that he could have cheated in the race. But maybe she's also turned on by the fact that he really stuck it to her boss, Duncan. Yeah. And like, why would you care who was the fastest in ninth grade? I'm not sure why this is so interesting to Lois. Well, he's faster than a speeding bullet. Boom. That's right. All right. So we see Elaine and Ned and he comes home from wherever he was working and she's sort of like beating around the bush until she finally just uh, blurts out and asks him. So are you a communist? Yeah. And this is a funny scene. Like he first of all, he just gives her a yes right away. Yeah. I am. And Elaine is like, wow, a commie. So again, I think that there is some danger. She's turned on by the idea of him being sort of this exotic political person in a communist. And uh, but then she's sort of like rubbing it in his face like, well, you know, fall of the Soviet Union, and everything that must have been a bummer. Yeah, he's and he's very matter of fact about it. It's funny. Yeah. Now, the fact that they make him into some sort of person like he's rooting for communism, like a sports team about how like, well, we still have China and Cuba. Again, I, I don't really think that makes a lot of sense. I think that you probably have a worldview. You are not necessarily rooting for communism in terms of other countries right like i don't think that if you were a fan of democracy i don't think that you would necessarily rattle off other countries which have a democratic system quick let's name every democracy (laughs) (laughs) but that's where we're going with ned yeah he's just a fan you know he's not he's not like he's not writing for the daily worker he's he's sitting at home watching it on the tv he's a communism fanboy that's true. He's a, he's a super fan, though. And again, Elaine talks about like, well, it was a good run. You guys were wreaking havoc, making everybody nervous. And he also sort of like says, yeah, I guess. So. Like, so it's almost like everybody, when they talk about communism, they make it seem like part of it was sort of like being sort of this evil empire. And they almost like uh, feel like that that was a exciting reason to be a communist. Yes. I mean, it'll very much like the Yankees. <laughs> yeah. Another evil empire we see in this episode. Okay. All right. So we go back to Jerry's apartment and uh, he explains to George how he had to lie to Lois because he can't run the risk. If they have a bad breakup, she goes back to Duncan. He wants Duncan on his deathbed to still be wondering about the race. And it's so funny also like how they assume that, you know, whoever wins the race now was the true winner in ninth grade. It's pretty funny. Mm -hmm. Yes, because uh, speed uh, has maintained over all these years. Sure. That's why every sprinter is like, they start when they're in ninth grade and they're still in the Olympics when they're 35. <laughs> so Elaine comes in and she's very proud of the fact, hey, I am dating a communist. 
Uh, yeah, she, yeah, she's totally like she has no problem with this at all. As long as as long as he's pro-choice, I don't think she cares about anything other any other political opinion. Yeah, I'm not sure what is the policy on uh, the women's rights issues of the Communist Party. I don't know. I feel like uh, I feel like Johnny knows that. Johnny, write in for next week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know what is the typical uh, policy there uh, for the communists. But uh, probably might not be great. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, are they I guess you look at it, the Communist Party. Uh, that's traditionally like the far, far left is communist. So I guess are they are they like sort of in line with the Democratic they so Party? left? They wrap around and become like right wing. Again. I don't know. We just don't know. OK, so George mentions that he called one of those girls from the personal ad in the Daily Worker. And uh, he says that, yes, she said that appearance is not important. And Jerry says, yeah, hers or yours? By the way, I, so it looks like uh, the Soviet Union was the first country to ever legalize abortion. Oh. And it's legal in Cuba, even though it's not legal in almost even today in almost any Latin American country. So, okay. so I guess we know where they stand. It seems to be pro-choice, which uh, I'm sure was, uh, you know, thought out well in advance by the writing staff. Yeah, lines up well uh, for Elaine and her political views. So we end up then uh, having Kramer come in in his Santa suit with Mickey. He is the new Santa at Coleman's. Not a great build for a Santa, Kramer. Not really. He doesn't really seem to have a lot of padding in his Santa Claus outfit at this point. But we get the introduction to the story that he's going to be working with Mickey on this uh, Santa Claus bit. And they talk about how they're like rattling off the reindeer. Kramer thinks one of the reindeer is Donna. And uh, Mickey assures him that that is not the case. No, I could not name the reindeer. Have you ever dressed up as Santa? I don't know if I've ever worn a Santa Claus outfit. I feel like maybe I have, but I, it's not coming to mind. I've never been an official Santa. No. Okay. No, I have not. I don't think I have the right build for it either. No, no, no. You, you're built a little like Kramer. <laughs> yeah. But shorter and uh, sure. yeah, less muscular. Less wiry. Yeah. Okay, so we end up with Lois calling up and we find out that Duncan wants to get back together with Jerry to talk about this whole issue with the race at the coffee shop. So Jerry is now into a confrontation to talk about this. George suggests the idea that he should show up and act like he has not seen Jerry since high school. It is an amazing idea that does pay off here. But uh, obviously there are some uh, problems, which that doesn't happen. But clearly there were some uh, some issues with this plan. Yeah. So they say it's a good idea. There's a funny moment where George cheers is what would you say? Clinks glasses. Yeah, he clinks glasses and, and it gets all over Elaine, yeah, which is a funny moment. OK, so uh, big payoff, I think, coming up uh, for Jerry and Duncan and George at Monk. So we see Santa Kramer for the first time and we see him with a little girl who doesn't speak English. Uh, Kramer says that Santa Claus speaks the language of all children and goes into like the Swedish chef, like uh, Snurgen, Flurgen, Snurgen, Nurgen. I think it's he goes into Andy Samberg doing the Swedish chef. <laughs> and then the woman just pulls her away. But why would you take a girl who doesn't speak English to go see Santa and sit on his lap? Oh, whoa, 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 you're Donald Trump now? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know. The, the idea of going to see Santa, unless it was just like uh, the girl seemed excited about the idea of seeing Santa Claus. The idea is to tell Santa Claus what you want for Christmas. Okay, so what's, okay, let's say she doesn't speak English. What's her alternative? Not to go to Santa Claus? She wants to go to Santa. I guess so. I mean, maybe it, you're right. Yes, this plan probably wasn't going to work out well, because if she has no way to communicate with the Santa Claus, it's not, well, maybe. Not, 
It was just yeah. the mom wanted a picture of the daughter with Santa, but it doesn't even sure. S- and the mom also could have translated for Santa, probably right. And I feel like that a big part of this racket is taking the picture with Santa, and that does not appear to be going on at all in this sort no. of setup. And also, there's not usually an, a, a real elf, right? <laughs> there is uh, not typically. Again, I I don't know what the scene is like now. Maybe in '94 that was more commonplace. The Santa scene. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's probably more likely to have a Mrs. Claus than an elf. Yeah, I think so. Or some sort of like assistant. But okay, so Kramer is unhappy. He says that this is like a sweatshop. All these kids coming through. These kids are hurting him. A kid jumps on his lap and makes him fall down off his chair. I'm surprised this is even allowed to still go on. Santa Claus stuff? Just strangers. Like there's no there's no worker for the for the mall there. Like how much could they have vetted Kramer? You know, mm-hmm. like, just like little kids sitting on a random weirdo's lap. I, I don't know how this still exists in 2016. So what do you think that this is sort of like a Megan's Law type violation? I don't know. I mean, listen, I know that people try like there were malls this year that tried to get rid of Santa Claus and and people went crazy. So oh, clearly I, it's I, but I think that the stores, the malls that were trying to get rid of Santa, I think that it was more financial. Of- no, no, I thought it was more of people were offended by the religious overtones oh, the of Santa. People. War on Christmas. Well, we're soldiers in the war on the war on Christmas. As we right. I don't think it was necessarily parents or because people bring their parents. If you don't, you don't want to go to Santa, you don't have to go to Santa. What do you think a Santa's pulling down now for to, a day to be Santa in a mall? Yeah, I think it's probably got to be like minimum wage. Yeah, we ha- really see that's another like you're hiring some guy off the street from I mean, I would pay my Santa more. I, I would want a Santa that I know. Uh, hopefully that they have a background check. There's got to be someone out there who's been a mall Santa you're right in and let us know. I mean, I don't think that they're vetting the Santas uh, too much, but I think they probably have to do some sort do a of background, background check. check. Do a background check. But really, what is Santa going to actually do? No, Santa's not going to do anything, but you still don't want your kid with some creep. I guess not, but I think that's. And also, sort of- how does this work? Like again, I've never been to a Santa Claus. Okay, like how does this work? Do I like go up and let's say I say like I want a pony? What? What is? And the Santa in the mall doesn't give you presents, does he? I think you get like a little crappy something. You do? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This whole thing. This whole thing is. Uh, I think it's more uh, about the idea is that you get a picture with Santa that we sure because like the kid always asks what he wants, but like. The parents not even there sometimes, right? They don't know what. The well, I think that the idea is that the parent is supposed to be an earshot so that they can like, oh. But nowadays, like these kids are not like shy about telling the parents exactly what. No, they want. and also the kids will just go on Amazon and buy it themselves. Yeah, make a wish list. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, th- but literally, they could just purchase it. Like, it, if you think about it, right. like if you share a computer in your house. Yeah, I, well, I noticed this with my younger siblings. They'll just like they could just buy themselves stuff because like the Amazon accounts just open and they'll just like they'll come home. They'll be like 20, you know, things to close. Oh, yeah. They just went shopping. Yeah. Ariel, who listens to the podcast, I believe her brother has a Santa Claus uh, story so she can find out how much a Santa Claus was making, at least at that point in time. Yeah. Let us know, Ariel. Yeah. All right. So we see now George on the phone that he gets a phone call from the woman who answered, he answered the ad for in The Daily Worker. And here's Ada. Boy, Akiva, what a difference a week makes for Ada. Total makeover. Yeah, she looks totally different. Almost like she was recast. Uh, I'm not sure why George is getting this call at work and not at home. Hmm. I don't know. But, you know, Ada is totally like a, uh, like, yeah, a real uh, Hotsy Totsy from Hotsy Nazi type makeover. You know what? She makes a lot more money now. So is that what it probably... is? That she's like confident and now she's not like even wearing glasses or hair totally. is blown out. 
Oh, she probably got the, she was like the first person to get laser eye surgery, maybe. <laughs> maybe. That's why we never, it doesn't take, that's why we never see her again after this episode. Yeah, and there's no sexual tension at all now between George. I mean, George was sleeping with his assistant last week. We don't know yeah. how old anything played out. And now here he is taking phone calls from women. And she ends up narking on him to Mr. Steinbrenner. Do you think, was this because she was jealous that George was going on dates with a woman and answering personal ads? I think one, she is a little jealous. Two, um, she probably is anti-George at this point because yeah. the whole... Let me just get, get rid of him. Three, oh. we learned last week she's really no nonsense. Like, she takes her job more seriously than anyone else on Earth. And uh, four, I think that she's... I forgot four. Okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, in terms of uh, Ada, maybe she had some other uh, motives for this. Okay, so Elaine and her boyfriend, Ned, are at the mall... Uh, they meet this woman, Arlene. Elaine is very quick to volunteer that, oh, did you meet my boyfriend, Ned? He's a communist. Yeah, so now, like, now this is his main character trait. Every, everyone's going to meet him. That's all he's going to talk about. Communist, communist, communist. Yeah. Well, I think that this guy did not have a ton going on beforehand. So now at least she has some sort of interesting thing because he doesn't seem like he has that much going on, right? Yeah, Elaine really uh, in this season has kind of dated a whole series of losers. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least now he's an exciting communist loser. Yeah, he's a bad boy, but he, you know, he, uh, he's got at least something going for him. But a lot of times, like, Elaine doesn't like these guys and they have an annoying quirk. But also, she shouldn't even be dating them in the first place. It's hard for out there for Elaine. Yeah, but you, Elaine, you're too good for these people. Settle for the sponge-worthy ones. Elaine wants to get Ned a more colorful shirt because he's so drab. She doesn't want him to just be, look like he's the worst-dressed communist. He could look like a successful communist. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that... I like I didn't know like were communists really like are they so into not dressing well? I think that you would typically imagine them in sort of like an olive type jacket. So I think that they're just playing off of the idea that they're not wearing any sort of bright colors. That's maybe more of a capitalist type thing. Yeah, the bright colors I agree with, but yeah. just just like the intentionally like ugly, you know, downplaying colors. I'm not sure. Maybe, but I don't, I don't know enough. All right, so Ned ends up meeting Kramer and Mickey, and he starts putting a real bug in Kramer's ear because he starts saying anybody who works here is a sap and that there are other Santa Clauses that are making a lot more money. And then when that beard comes off in January, you're going to have a rash and Coleman's isn't going to take care of you. Making a lot of sense to Kramer, but not to Mickey. says, uh, take that commie crap out to the street. Yeah, you know, it's a lot like Kramer, uh, you know, in the trip and, you know, at the end of season four, the beginning of season four, he, um, he Kramer, as we know, it can be easily influenced to believing in anything. It's kind of a miracle. He didn't join a cult for a whole season. <laughs> right. Now, how does Ned know so much about what the other Santa Clauses are making? That's a good question. But uh, I think someone asks that in the in the emails. But I, I think, um, you know, he he seems to be a guy who does a lot of reading. Yeah. Ned. He's well read. So. Yeah, very well read. And, and, well, and read. well read. Yeah. <laughs> so for Ned, what do you think he actually does for a living? That's a good question. Uh, I think like a traditional nine to five is for sure for suckers. So uh, I don't know what would be like, uh, I don't know, like w- w- would you would you want to just like collect welfare? Like is that taking money from the government? Is that something that you'd want to do? I'm not sure necessarily if a nine to five is for suckers, but I think that maybe you would want to make sure that you're working someplace that is unionized and that there is somebody sticking it to the government, not sticking it to the government, but making sure that the employer isn't abusing the worker. 
So maybe like he runs – he's like a union leader or he works for like a communism nonprofit. Is there a communism nonprofit? Do you think they can't get the uh, the nonprofit license? I think you can. I think you can. I'm not sure necessarily. If- you don't call yourself like communists are us. You say it's like, you know, you have some fancy name. Yeah. Like American democracy. They give you the nonprofit. And- yeah, I suspect he's some sort of like union leader. If the NFL could get a nonprofit designation, then communism can get it. <laughs> sure. All right. So we now go to the diner and I feel like this is uh, far and away. I think I I was laughing out loud during this scene. Here's Jerry and Duncan and they are having lunch. Lois is there. George comes in and pretends to not know Jerry. And Jason Alexander is so fantastic in this scene. Yeah. One of his best scenes to date. Uh, This almost feels like improv. It's really funny. It's a very funny game that they're playing of these two people that know each other but are pretending for the sake of Lois and Duncan that they don't know each other. And so George starts off by pretending like, oh my God, Jerry. And Jerry, very funny, pretends he doesn't recognize George. Uh, yeah, it's it's really a great scene. Probably one of the more underrated. It's not a scene that people like talk about when they talk about like the Hall of Fame Seinfeld scenes. There's but- no amazing, memorable line. But- no, you know, I was thinking about this episode because it is a really good episode. There's if when, you know, when we watch highlights of 100 in a few weeks, you know, the, 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 you know, the best of the first 100 episodes, I can't imagine that there's any jokes from this episode that get in or too I'm many jokes. I'm sure that they show the set piece of the race. I feel like that that is. Oh, something. yeah, maybe, maybe. But even that's not like a joke per se. Right. But it's a big visual that doesn't look like any other episode, sort of like an iconic visual. But the episode as a whole has, so, you know, when we talk about like the marine biologist effect where it's like one absolute home run. Does that beat a full episode? Well, you can't really argue that this episode doesn't really work start to finish. And there's so much going on and, and things tie together. Yeah. I mean, um, I choose not theory. to run is the iconic line from this episode. But there's right. nothing from this scene, even though it's a hilarious scene. Yeah, an amazing scene here. So <laughs> Jerry ends up explaining once George says, oh, remember me? And he, and, he, and he remembers Duncan from Kennedy High. And so he wants to know what Jerry is up to. And... Jerry explains, oh, I'm a comedian. And George's reaction to this, uh, that he is uh, really just not impressed by it at all. And uh, at first he says that, you know, I don't watch a lot of TV. I like to read. Uh, And then going back to the comedian thing, he asks, uh, so what do you do? A lot of that, uh, did you ever notice kind of stuff? (laughs) Difference between men and women. Yeah, it is funny. And it's like a real parody of, of the actual Jerry. And yeah. a, another person who loves to mention that they don't watch TV. Mm-hmm. And Jerry is like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I do. And then George uh, adds to it. It strikes me a, a lot of people are doing that kind of stuff now. And uh, just a very, very funny meta moment. Sure. And I think the whole 90s, and I can't come up with the names off the top of my head, but the whole 90s post you know, sign language were comedians that looked like Jerry doing airplane bits and stuff like that. Yeah. So then... Jerry comes back and says uh, another really great line. Uh, yeah, well, you really got bald there, didn't you? <laughs> it's, it's also one of those scenes where, like, normally Lois would, like, at least slap Jerry, you know, under the table and be, you know. But it's a sitcom trope where they don't hear this conversation, kind of. Yeah, it's all normal to them. And so uh, he's talking about, oh, you had a, such a full head of hair and it's all gone. Uh, and then George ends up coming back and talking about how, well, he lost it right when he was 28, uh, right around the time he made his first million. 
And then, so uh, the game changes a little bit. So then, you know, instead of like talking about like uh, putting Jerry down, now George is just talking up how great his life is. Yeah. And it's funny because this is the best uh, George's life has been in the six seasons of the show. Yeah. So it's funny that this pathological liar, like (laughs) who could just say I'm an executive for the Yankees and like pump up his position a little bit. Duncan could be a huge Yankee fan. Sure. That, you know, the Yankees... Are, you might not make as much money as like a guy who works in the Yankees office, but it you know then maybe like a lawyer or someone who works on Wall Street, but it's infinitely cooler. So it's probably the job you even want to say you had, but I don't know if you'd be a multimillionaire. Yeah. So he says that he's an architect, uh, and Lois asks him, "What have you done?" And he did the new addition to the Guggenheim. And my favorite part of it is that he adds, and it didn't take very long either. So <laughs> yeah, that's a great like throwaway line. <laughs> so not only did he do it, it he did it very quickly it's just it's on time and under down. budget yeah <laughs> okay uh and jerry says uh well you really built yourself up into something <laughs> okay so <laughs> jerry is like getting annoyed that like okay the, the mission was to come in here and talk about how he didn't cheat uh so jerry asks him so well uh, you know one can't really imagine why uh, somebody successful like you would bring yourself into a crummy little coffee shop like this which is kind of a weird thing to say, like rich people can't go into a coffee shop and get coffee. Yeah. And George uh, says, well, he stays in touch with the people. And then Jerry is like continuing to go too far and says, oh, what is that? A hole in your sneaker? Is that canvas? And so uh, George is trying to get out of there at that point. And then uh, Jerry reels him back in and wants to know about the big race. And George assures Duncan that... Uh, <laughs> Well, first he adds in that he can't forget the race because it happened the same day he lost his virginity to Miss Stafford, the voluptuous homeroom teacher. Yeah, I mean, George is a liar. Is just This is really in his element. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and he starts telling this story about how she came up behind him in detention. And <laughs> Jerry is now getting really pissed. <laughs> now, can you be a homeroom teacher, Akiva? What does that mean? Can I be one? No. Can a person be a homeroom teacher? Yeah. You, don't you have a first of all, we, I didn't have homeroom. I, it's just something I know from like TV and the movies. Right. I don't know if you had homeroom. Right. I had homeroom, but the person who was the like that you would go into their classroom was not a homeroom teacher. They were an English. Wasn't teacher. there someone responsible for watching you during that period? Right. But, but that period is 10 minutes. So I might. Oh, have I had thought a homeroom teacher. was like 40 minutes. See, we didn't have homeroom so i don't know i mean homeroom is just sort of like where they take attendance it's just like where you start okay yes uh i also uh then did not spend a lot of time in homeroom my my final year in high school because i i had i again this was part of my life that i had blocked out i remember that i had done the i used to do the announcements in the school in the morning Oh, that i believe yes which I realized was probably my first podcast. Oh, I was going to say it was probably the highlight of your life. I was gonna <laughs> it was not <laughs> highlight of my life. I think I had forgotten about that until I watched Grease recently. I was like, oh yeah, I used to make the announcements in high school. That's funny. You were the only announcer. No, there was a, there was like a, there was a a teacher that was there, and then there was also another. Could you throw in any jokes? Yeah, I used to make jokes. I used yeah, to try to be like how, how far off like topic could you go before you got pulled? I mean, there were written announcements, but I would try to be like a uh, Chris Berman and like add in like nicknames to names that I could was you do announcing. like could you be like uh, the Mets won four to two last night and the Yankees lost seven one? Could you stuff like that or no? I mean, I think that if you went too far off the script, I think you'd get pulled. Probably would have gotten pulled. For yeah, the, the equivalent of the uh, pig virus of uh, WNBC, I think, would then just like uh, pull you right off the air. W. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, so George says that the issue was uh, there was no head start. Absolutely not. He was even keeping pace with Jerry for the first uh, five. It's a great so. detail. Such a smart detail to throw in there. George is really the greatest liar of all time. He is great. But Lois wants to know, why don't you just race again? By the way, if I got a head, like you also have to be fast. If you had a head start and you beat the whole grade, you're still fast. Yeah. Why can't Jerry just say like, oh, I blew out my hamstring two years ago? Because he's been pulling the, pushing the off for so long. Also, he can say it. He doesn't need to race uh, Duncan, but he needs to race Duncan if he wants to stay with his girlfriend. But can't he just say something along the lines of, I got hurt a couple of years ago. I fell down a flight of stairs. Yeah, but then she won't be interested. She, he won't be manly enough for her. I'd say, I was... You're not the man. <laughs> I was faster than him then. I have yeah. since been injured. So she, so like, okay, if you ever get fast again, call me. Then but there's so many women, like just because her name is Lois, that that's the, he has to go through with this. That Lois is I mean, so superficial. Every, that's the whole show. Every episode he's trying to, he's trying to keep these relationships on target and they don't last. Lois will dump him because he got injured and can't run the way he used to. Do you know how many things he's been broken up for that are just as dumb? I mean, I played football in college. And I got hurt. I got tackled and I broke my leg in college. I have not been able to run as fast as I did in high school. Listen, Jerry's not as good of a liar as George. George would have come up with something. Yeah. So I don't know. So uh, now Lois is really pushing him. Race him, Jerry. You have to. And he says, finally, all right, I'll do it. The race is on. He's also not sure he's going to lose. Yeah. But Duncan is very confident that he will win. Yeah. I mean, Duncan looks like he's faster than Jerry. Looks like a fast guy. All right. So we go back now to Elaine and uh, that she is getting the whole download of what's going on with the race and how all the people from high school are coming back to watch this race. I love it. Like if you got a call, let's say you live near your high school. Mm -hmm. You're like, hey, do you remember that day like Jamie and Tony got into a fight? Yes. Well, they're fighting behind the schoolyard tomorrow (laughs) after work. (laughs) I might show up for a fight. Are you showing up for a fight? I might show up. What about for a race? Probably not. No way. There's no way. Say, can somebody just put it on YouTube after? Yeah. Tell someone to Periscope it, put it on YouTube, Vine it, <laughs> Snapchat it. Yeah. All right. So uh, we see Kramer and Mickey on the street. And Kramer is now really hopped up on this communist propaganda. He's talking about he's citing each according to his ability to each according to his needs. Is that like a communist mantra? That must be one of their main mantras. Yeah. So they have sort of a weird conversation about how Mickey's asking, well, what if I want to open up a deli? Kramer says there's no delis under communism because the meats are divided into a class system. Uh, this is just crazy talk, right? I mean, I think they had a lot of borscht. <laughs> yeah. But I do think it's crazy talk. I don't think this is canon for communism. Yeah. And, and talking about the American salami, Kramer says, well, you have pastrami and corned beef in one class and salami and bologna in another. So, I mean, we're very already in communism. Uh, it's outlawed because you're having salami and bologna already too close together. It's true. I, I like is tongue between those two meats or is tongue above pastrami and corned beef? Mm, I don't know. I'm probably not the right person to ask on that. Yeah. Well, the deli correspondent can write in. Yeah. Okay. So we then see George and uh, he is calling up and checking his messages from Jerry's apartment. And he finds out from Ada that Mr. Steinbrenner would like to see him because uh, that he finds out that Ada has narked on him and uh, told Mr. Steinbrenner that he is a communist. 
Yeah, and I, I, we don't know Ada's motivation, but we do know we never see her again. We never see her again, so maybe that was probably uh, part of the fallout when uh, you, you narked on me. Maybe she's in witness protection or something. Especially after George brings back all these uh, communist players into the Yankee system, I think that Mr. Steinbrenner is probably very high on George. Yeah, I think George wins this battle. But, well, I mean, but it's, you know, Ada really should have a little bit more appreciation for George for the whole 25 grand thing. You would think so, but... Uh, maybe she's going to be out on the street after this. Merry Christmas, Ada. Yeah. Happy holidays. <laughs> so we end up then with uh, Jerry getting a phone call from Duncan. It's another one of these times where George picks up the phone and throws it to Jerry, which is always uh, funny when they pull that off, that immaculate reception. Yeah. Can't do that anymore. Yeah. No one's throwing the iPhone. Uh, if it was a cell phone, you could really make a, uh, a much cleaner immaculate reception joke. Oh, yeah, I get it. Not yeah. on the iPhone. Not on the iPhone. <laughs> so uh, is four o'clock good for Jerry? He says, no, it is not because he chooses not to run. But now why is he saying I choose not to run after he said yesterday that the race is on? They're just trying to show how scared he is. Yeah. Okay. So Elaine uh, is uh, back with Ned at her apartment. And uh, that, again, she's trying to force the issue of changing his clothes around. And so they're going to also get some Chinese food. And Ned wants from Hop Sings. It has to be Hop Sings. Uh, and Elaine explains that she got into a fight with the guy. It has to be Hop Sings because when Ned's dad was blacklisted and he couldn't work for years, he used to sit in Hop Sings and try to figure out what he was going to do. Now, why did they have to sit in Hop Sings? Because is Hop Sings because it's Chinese food? Are they sort of like communist sympathizers? Yeah, they probably didn't have any money. They probably gave them free food and they were sympathetic to the cause. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, with all this talk of communism and the blacklist, um, it's too bad that Tim Watley uh, couldn't show up to uh, potentially be of some assistance. It's not a bad point. I, there's a lot of balls in the air here, but uh, yeah, Wally would have been perfect here. Well, he could have been Trumbo. <laughs> That's true. He yeah. could have been Trumbo. Could have all tied in together. Really could have tied up all these loose ends. You didn't see Trumbo, did you? I didn't, but I would watch it. Yeah, I didn't get that one. The Podcasters Guild did not send out that script. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely check it out, but that seems like that'd be an HBO movie. Yeah, you know, that's not a theater movie for sure. Yeah, you don't need to go and see Trumbo on the big screen. All the explosions in Trumbo. <laughs> the ex- explosive moments, explosive moments. So, uh, so Elaine has to call in the order to Hop Sing. And so uh, she ends up giving her apartment, which is uh, 16 West 75th uh, Street Apartment 2G. What do you think? Nice, na- nice neighborhood? Um, I'm not sure. Okay. And so uh, the person at the Chinese restaurant says, I know that address. That's Elaine Bennis. You're Bennis. You're on the list. No more delivery for you. And Elaine says, no, 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 no. She doesn't live here anymore. This is somebody else. And the name is Ned Isaacoff. Yeah, we get the last name. Now, very implausible that, uh, you know, two days later, that address. Uh, Elaine is really crazy to think that this plan is going to work. Right. It's not like she was banned years ago and they might have forgotten. <laughs> and you could always get a different delivery guy. But I feel like two days later, the odds are not great. Right. Right. So <laughs> not great. Like, if anything, you should call in with a different apartment in that building and then just have Ned down in the lobby waiting for the Hop Sings guy. Yeah, there's so he could have just gone to like the restaurant. They could have or- delivered to the neighbor and handed the neighbor 20 bucks and said, can you just get the, the Chinese order for me, please? Yeah. Or they could have had like a DoorDash or something like that go and order from Hop Sing. Right. But also she didn't know how banned she was. I don't think she understood how serious the banned list was. She didn't quite know. All right. 
So then we end up seeing with Kramer and the kid at the Santa Claus that, uh, so the kid's asking for a race car set. Kramer tells the kid, you're being bamboozled. That stuff is made in Taiwan and the stores are marking up the prices. And the kid very quickly uh, points out, you're a commie. This guy's a commie. Very precocious child. (laughs) Yeah. The kid is good. He's very funny that he just keeps yelling out like, uh, like, uh, keep it to yourself, commie. <laughs> so, all right, Mickey comes over and explains, no, Santa's not a commie, that he's just forgot what a you know solid that his friend did him. Uh, I like the store manager that comes over and really is just pissed. Yeah, he, and again, he was, you know, they didn't have anybody watching Kramer, which was probably one of their problems, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, he really he really takes care of business. The customer's always right here. And the kid is saying that Kramer is spreading propaganda and the store manager ends up saying, uh, yeah, well that's enough pinko. Wow. Yeah, hey. which I guess was a uh yeah. It's a slur for communists. It, it's not a com- it's a communist sympathizer. I looked it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so he's not even cool enough to be a communist. He's just a sympathizer. Yeah, that's why you're not necessarily red. You're pinko. Got it. All right. So Jerry has to go pick up Lois, and we find out from Lois that now Duncan has said, if Jerry doesn't race him, then Lois will be fired. Now again, we talked about so much last week about what all the different suits that George would potentially have filed against him after the way he interviewed secretaries. It does seem as though we talk about all the time on Seinfeld that if there were just cell phones, there would be no sort of ability to have a Seinfeld episode. It's also, I think that if there were wrongful termination lawsuits, it also seems like that might wipe out like seven or eight Seinfeld episodes. Yeah, there would be a lot that would not would not really fly. And not, yeah, we don't, you know, Duncan, maybe not the worst person we've seen in the series, but he's pretty bad. Doesn't really have any redeeming quality. Lois explains to Jerry, Joan, you understand? He could do whatever he wants. He controls the means of production. What is that? I think it's a communist joke. Is it a communist joke? Pretty sure. Yeah. All right. So this not is a Superman joke. Well, I guess so. I, this is an issue. I think that it's the worker is really being screwed by the employers. That's why we need communism, I think. Are you saying that Seinfeld thinks that or, or you think? <laughs> I think that's what they're trying to say here. I think it's just another illustration that when we let these corporations, again, we're getting back into the Bernie Sanders thing. If we let corporate America and Wall Street dictate what's going to happen, then the workers are getting screwed like Lois. That's a great uh, Bernie Sanders impression. <laughs> it's really, again, uh, more of a cadence, I think, than an impression. Okay. You got plenty of time to work on. All right, I'll work on it. I did. I had a dream last night. I had I dreamed a couple months ago that Ted Cruz was at my house, but last night I dreamed Bernie Sanders was at my house. What happened when Ted Cruz was at your house? I was asking Ted Cruz in my dream uh, about like what was it like when the insult comic dog was uh, really asking him a lot of questions. I was asking him about uh, what <laughs> was that was like. Bizarre dream. Why didn't Huckabee come over? He could have given you a lot more info about Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. Yeah. That's what you're dreaming about. So last night was my second dream where I was talking to one of the candidates in the 2016 election, and I was talking to Bernie Sanders in my dream. And I was asking Bernie Sanders, and I, I it was a almost like a curb-type moment because I ended up kind of offending Bernie Sanders because I was asking him about what's it like to be 75 years old, but to be more popular at 75 than at any previous point in your entire life. I feel like that would be a very weird thing to be peaking at 75, right? And what did he say? Uh, he was like, he was sort of like, well, I've done a lot of other things. And I think and, he's only 73 also. Oh, so that's I, mean, I really insulted him. 
Yeah. And but you then, wouldn't have known that and you, you couldn't correct yourself in your own dream. Yeah. And then he also you like, have an equal time rule in your dreams. Don't you have to dream about <laughs> Clinton and Trump now? Maybe they're coming. Maybe it's going to be later tonight. Oh, or tell me about the Trump dream. Email me when you get the Trump dream. <laughs> I will. And then I think he also then left his suit behind. Uh, and I was trying to get a hold Probably of his him. only suit. Yeah, he left his suit behind at my house, and and uh, like he, I, I don't know, I don't know what he was wearing. I don't know if he had a second suit, but that was an issue that he had left the suit behind. And and, and I was like, oh well, at least I'll get to talk to him again because he'll come to pick up his suit. But he might have just been completely avoiding me by that point and just like just left the suit. Like, oh, forget it, I'll get a new one. Is this fan fiction or was this an actual dream? I'm not making that up. I'm kidding. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so the delivery man from Hop Sings is back. And he is there to deliver the food. Ned is picking it up. And Elaine walks out. And very quickly, he picks it up and uh, sees that it's Elaine. And he's mad. He says, you tried to trick Hop Singh. You're on our list, Elaine Bennis. Now you are on the list, Ned Isaacoff. She named names. Can't Ned at least make a case for that his father is a Hop Singh's legend? That, you know, that it's not his fault. That maybe when he breaks up with Elaine, he could go back and beg. The Hop Sing delivery guy is fantastic. He's, he's uh, very good. He's yeah, in, the guest actors in this episode are, are you know, really good. He's amazing. He's, he's quite bombastic. So I don't know if you could really reason with him. He's tough. Yeah, he really. And we don't know if he's the owner, the delivery man. You know, maybe it's a small shop and he does deliveries. We don't really know. Yeah. Again, he says you tried to trick Hop Sing. I don't know if he's talking in the first person, in the third person. Or the restaurant. It could just be the restaurant could be called Hopson. Right. So we don't exactly know. But uh, he's a bit like the soup Nazi, where it's almost like once he makes up his mind, you're blacklisted, then that's it. Yeah. And he's listed as Lou in the credits. Mm. Uh, so I don't know if his name is Hopson. Yeah. So Ned just very, uh, he can't believe what has happened. He says to Elaine, you got me blacklisted from Hop Sings? Yeah, I mean, come on. Get over. There's a million restaurants, you know, that'll deliver to your house. She named name. That's what she named it's a great line. Well, another famous line from this episode. That's true. All right. So we see George in Mr. Steinbrenner's office once again this season. And uh, Steinbrenner going right into, uh, so the word around here is that you're a communist. Yeah. And it's it just like a whole. And I wonder if these Steinbrenner rants are scripted or if it's LD just like riffing in the inside look they talk about it quite a bit about how it was larry david and and he couldn't believe that jason alexander couldn't believe how he didn't break up during this but i think we they have to have at least been something on the page in terms of like what it was like yeah, but i think then they say they put it in post because again it's not the back of larry's head steinbrenner yeah but they have to at least have some sort of like because george is responding to something in the script right so. They expl- oh, well, listen, they have green screen. There's crazier moments than doing comedy without the person in the room. I think, um, you know, they, they explained how they did it. It was something like Larry is right off screen yelling stuff out. It wasn't totally clear to me. Right. But they had a guy also who was the George Steinbrenner actor. Lee Beard. So he wants George to go down to Cuba to go investigate a Cuban baseball player, something Rodriguez. I don't really know his name. Uh, get yourself down to Havana right away. Is it possible this is El Duque? Well, no, because it's Hernandez. But, you know, it was probably... He's saying something he, he, Rodriguez. Couldn't it be a Hernandez? I don't I, No, I don't think you could mix up Hernandez and Rodriguez. That he doesn't even but, know the first name. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it's Steinbrenner, so the boss could be wrong. But it might be a little early. I don't know. Like, it's not like El Duque comes over that year. Yeah. And El Duque eventually famously defects from Cuba. Could it be Ordonez? <laughs> which one ray ordonez yeah he's from cuba <laughs> i hope not 
maybe that's maybe that's why George gets fired ultimately. Maybe that's why Castro is like, uh, yeah, take him, fine. Yeah, Ordonez. <laughs> that was funny. He, he was like a plant mm-hmm. to throw on the Mets. Castro right. is a Yankees fan. So Steinbrenner also wants George to go pick him up some of the cigars, and he's going on and on about the cigar. And George ultimately uh, shows himself out. All right. Yeah. So we end up with uh, Kramer and Mickey. Uh, we seeing, we're seeing them, and they've been now fired. <laughs> and so uh, Kramer is kind of beating himself up that we, we screwed up. We screwed up about this. Yeah, I mean, it's sad. Like, Mickey, you know, it's not Mickey's fault. And now he's out of a job. He's got kids in college. Yeah. Kramer says he didn't realize it was such a sensitive issue. And uh, <laughs> Mickey says, well, what did you think was going on in the world the last 60 years? Kramer's not a big newspaper reader. Not a big newspaper reader. All right. So we find out quite a bit in the deleted scenes also for this episode about Kramer's involvement with getting George to Cuba. So it was a couple seasons ago that Kramer ended up making friends at the Cuban embassy uh, trying to get more of the cigars after he gets hooked on the Cuban cigars after Susan brought them over. And that was a big subplot in the deleted scenes. Did you watch those, Akiva? Yes. And it's funny because I understand why they deleted them. It's funny seeing Kramer fall down the chimney into the you know back alley entrance of the Cuban embassy or whatever. the I don't know if they have an embassy, but whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I understand why they deleted it. And it wasn't a hole in the episode. So it's interesting they felt the need to connect it. Yeah, because they felt like for George to be able to get to Cuba, they had to explain because you couldn't get to Cuba directly in the United States. At right, that but time. you could just say like Steinbrenner, like we wouldn't have even asked that question if right. we were even on our biggest nitpick day. We would just said, oh, yeah, Stein, you know, scouts got to Cuba probably. Some, no, I guess they didn't. But, you know, Steinbrenner's got some hookup in Canada where he could fly George to Canada and then fly him to Cuba. Yeah, some sort of charter to Cuba. But anyway, so there was also an issue where Kramer knew the secret entrance to the Cuban embassy, and then he ends up falling down the chimney, which is sort of like a Santa Claus joke. But again, as we've said many, many times on this podcast, these scenes are deleted for a reason. Correct. (laughs) So we get the whole big setup for the race now, where Jerry is going to race against Duncan. Uh, Mr. Bevilacqua is here. It's very funny that they are both referring to him as Mr. Bevilacqua. Akiva, if you ran into any of your teachers from high school, would you still call them Mr.? A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> so it's always he's funny. Old. Why, you wouldn't? You'd be like, hey, George, I wouldn't even know a lot of their first names. No, it's just funny when you're a, like, a grown-up and you are talking to another grown-up, but you are, have to refer to them as Mr. Sure, but, I, you know, it's like a level of respect thing. And also, um, I... You know, I was a teacher, so once in a while I like see a kid on the street and he'll call me Mr. Wienerker. Yes. Okay. You know, even though I'm four years older than that. Akiva, could you give us the play by play for the race? Sure. And by the way, I would love to have to have uh, been there when they explained to Mr. Bevilacqua, like, do you remember in ninth grade we had a race? <laughs> and like we've been arguing about this. <laughs> oh, for I'm 20- sure he remembers. That's probably a highlight for Mr. Bevilacqua. Oh, no question. No question. Uh but it would have you know, it would have been a funny sell and like does Bevilacqua hold out? Do you have to like, you know, like send him a cab or something? I think you'd probably, yeah, take him to lunch. Nowadays after. you'd have to send him an Uber, I think. Send him an Uber. Yeah, so uh, as they're about to start, Kramer's car backfires. Why is Kramer going to the airport? Because is he, he, like, he in, again, in the deleted scenes that he's responsible for getting oh, right, George so he's going to, yeah, to yeah, charter. Yeah. So he's got to drive George to the airport to get to Cuba. Right. So he, the car backfires, giving Jerry a head start because he thinks it's the... Uh, the the gun for the race, which of course Mr. Bevilacqua bought, brought. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't bring that onto the streets of New York City in 1994. By the way, 
Yeah. I don't know if cops would uh, would really look to this appears to be some sort of cul-de-sac they're racing on also. Right. It's like they've completely shut down a Manhattan street for this. Yeah, race. like five people uh, emailed in questions about that. But, I'm, you know, this was really uh, they really had a hookup at the city maybe here. <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe. So. Duncan's been waiting so gonna so be like long. Covered in the New York Post three days later. Like, corrupt cop shuts down city for stupid race. <laughs> so Jerry gets a head start, and he wins the race, and uh, the crowd goes insane. You see, it's a, it, you know, it's done in slow motion. The race is done really well. You see Elaine and Lois really cheering for Jerry. Just, it's almost bizarre how uh, positive the atmosphere around you know the whole gang is in this episode. Yeah, yeah and you, it's, it wasn't, isn't it more Seinfeld like for? Something to happen for Jerry to trip and lose the race. Yeah, you would think so. But this is a little bit of an atypical episode. Yeah, it's it's really a shocking moment. Jerry wins the race. Uh, Duncan cements. And we really have to put Duncan in the bottom five people we've had so far. (laughs) I I don't know if Falconer can get on that. Maybe. Well, before the race even started that he says to Lois about this, about how, hey, if Jerry wins the race, you better give me a raise. And he says, if he wins the race, I'll send you to Hawaii for two weeks. And this is the second week in a row that we see a very awkward uh, raise given to somebody. Uh, last week when George is sleeping with the secretary, he blurts it out. And then uh, it's uh, sort of negotiated for as a terms of this bet. Uh, yes, the raises were really on the writer's minds. I guess maybe they were negotiating for season seven at this point. <laughs> Yeah, perhaps. Uh, so then after Jerry wins the race again, he breaks the tape across the street again. I don't know what, where they got that tape from. I don't know where you'd buy that if you needed. Yeah, and the traffic must have been completely shut down on this street for some time. And then we also had Elaine in the slow motion. It's very funny that she's running to hug Jerry and he like pushes her out of the way to hug Lois. Really another another moment where Jerry probably not the best, uh, <laughs> you know, not the best attitude towards women. Yeah, <laughs> Why what, what do you think that he should have hugged Elaine? No, but he, he could have like avoided her without throwing his <laughs> ex-girlfriend to the ground, probably. Yeah. And then uh, there's a moment at the end of the episode and uh, Lois wants to know if Jerry will come to Hawaii with him at the end. Uh, and he turns to look at the camera and says, uh, maybe I will, Lois. Maybe I will. And winks at the camera. And Jerry talks, breaks the fourth wall, breaks the fourth wall. Which, Which uh, I'm always in favor of shows doing in their later seasons. Okay. Like the real world started breaking the fourth wall, and it's great. They'll show the cameraman in every scene now. They don't care. Yeah. So why did you like it so much here? I think to do it once is fine. It doesn't take me out of the episode because the episode is essentially over. Uh, I, I, it's a, is it a, is it a uh, Superman thing? Does Superman ever wink at the camera? I think that more so in the comic books. Okay, it, fine. Yeah. And maybe in the, in the Superman t- old TV, TV show. show. Yeah. With, what's his name? Yeah. yeah. So to me, it really works. It ties up the episode well. I do have an issue now, though, Rob. What is it? Um, so we never, see, uh, the, we never see Lois again. We don't hear about Lois again. Every relationship Jerry's had, you know, starting with uh, the girl he dated in season one, and, you know, and then they break up in the stock tip, and Mulva, mm-hmm. and, you know, he's had about 23 or 25 girlfriends already or something like that. The relation, even if we don't see them breaking up, the relationship, the episode ends on a sour note where we know that the, the relationship is over. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, you saw him picking his nose. It's over. This relationship ends very positively. Yeah. There's no natural ending. There's no breakup. Well, it's a little weird. It's the only one. So I asked Amir, I asked a couple other people. It seems to be the only one in the whole series mm-hmm. where, where they sort of just kill the relationship. Yeah. So I wanted to know if there was a mystery behind this. So I found the actress on Twitter and I, and I asked her. 
Oh, wow. So I, her name is uh, Renee Props. Mm-hmm. Big props. How many followers does she have? 280. Uh, 4,264. Oh. Big tweeter. She's a grandma. Yeah. And she's a maloprop-ism expert. I wonder if that's a pun. <laughs> um, so I said, hey, Renee, you were the only Seinfeld girlfriend whose relationship with Jer- Jerry did not have a natural ending. There's no breakup. Any idea why? Mm-hmm. So she said to me at Keith 26, Lois and Jerry, she spelled Lois wrong, which she appears to do in every tweet, but that's okay. She's still a nice lady. Lois and Jerry went to Hawaii and lived happily ever after. Emoji of a palm tree, emoji of hearts swirling around each other. Okay. So I said, uh, not sure that's canon, Renee, but I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think that we have an episode that is ending and it's almost like a, because we have the Superman theme music play. Like we're almost outside of the canon of Seinfeld at this uh, point. Good, interesting answer. And it's a parody of Superman and Superman is never going to lose the race. And so that it's almost like one of these endings where we have, uh, I think we have a couple, a couple different things where uh, almost recently where we talked about where uh, Kramer and Jerry are on the bus, like the uh, midnight cowboy thing where we have now, we're no longer in the world of Seinfeld. We're now doing a Superman satire and that's why they have to have the happy ending here. Uh, it's a good, I really like your answer. It makes me feel better because it actually kind of upsets me that they have this girlfriend where, and you could say maybe Jerry could turn around after this episode and say like, why was she pushing me to have this race? She's a little weird. Uh, you know, maybe something goes wrong in Hawaii off screen. I think the real answer is usually either A, like, uh, you know, Susan later in the season, you know, they just don't like the actress either personally or uh, as an actress, she's annoying to be around or she's not the right comedic fit or they don't want to keep most people around for more than one episode. Or uh, in this case, this is basically the most jumbled uh, order where the, like, it, the episode that airs after this is like four before it. And the order is as crazy as it is, you know, except for seasons two and three in the whole series. So I just think it's too impossible to keep it going without it going backwards and forwards. Like it, there was no way. You know, there's the next episode chronologically after this is like six weeks later and there's three in between. It doesn't work. The other thing I would add in is that I think that once Lois goes back to work on Monday and Duncan is like, are you kidding me that there was some car backfired? He got a head start again. You didn't see that. Why was he so far ahead from the start? The guy is cheating again. It's so clear as day. And if he cheats in the races, imagine what he's doing, you know, behind your back. No, I'm sure. And then Lois is like, Jerry, did you did the car backfire? Did you cheat? And then again, it's like, I can't keep doing this. I mean, that's what ultimately (laughs) is ending this relationship. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, you've, you've, you've really uh, eased my mind with, with, your, uh, with your finale. Yeah. Okay. So, Akiva, then we have one final scene with George, and it's a parody of the Steinbrenner scenes that we see of uh, George with Fidel Castro at the end of the episode. And Castro, very happy to have George there, is going to take him to a party. Of course, Castro doesn't like parties because invariably uh, you are eating a plate of food either standing up or with it on your lap. Uh, Castro once put a plate of food on a piano. If he wasn't a dictator, he wouldn't have been able to get away with that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm also anti-party. I hear what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, George just uh, sees himself out. Does George end up signing the Cuban uh, players? I, you know, some people in the emails, I think, have, have uh, you know, some strong opinions. Some theories. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the race and uh, let's talk about all of our characters and give out our letter grades. All right. For Jerry, the race, I choose not to run... What is your letter grade for Jerry? 
I think it's an A. You know, the race alone, Jerry's half of the of you know one of the one of the really great scenes in this episode in the diner. Also, mm-hmm. can't give him anything other than an A. A for Jerry. For mm-hmm. George, I also have to give him an A. He's brilliant in the uh, in the monk scene. Yeah, and again, uh, the, you know, the Cuba stuff doesn't do much, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, A for George. All right, Elaine, 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 Elaine. Yeah, you know, so the communist stuff is funny, and it's. It's not such a like dull, you know, irrelevant storyline that we have to kill it. It's not drab, uh, even though it doesn't really. There's no home run in the end, um, so I'll give it a B plus. It's fine. Yeah, I was gonna say a B, but I can live with the B plus for Elaine. And again, you get the Hop Sing guy in there, right. so uh, that's good. Ned Isakoff himself doesn't do a lot, but um, fun. There's fun to be had there, and then Kramer. Kramer and Santa and Mickey. You know, there could have been a great scene with Kramer and Santa. It is funny seeing him be Santa, but it's so negative, mm-hmm. the whole thing. And it's like weird seeing Kramer sort of, who's usually the most liked person in the group. You know, like kids really hate him. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, that's like, I'll give it a B minus. I'd say weakest part of the episode was the Kramer Yeah, but not, 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 there's no bad scene really in the episode. I'll give it a C. A C okay. for Kramer, that pinko. I, I, is that a slur? Is that like, can we not say that? I'm not sure. Communist right, sympathizer? Yeah. I think it's okay. All right. So, Akiva, now, if this was taking place in 2016, is there anything else that would not hold up? Of course, that the relations between the United States and Cuba have thawed considerably since 1994. Never been better. Never been better? Um, yeah. We ha- someone would have videotaped the race, and they would have watched – Duncan would have watched it immediately on replay, and um, – and, you know, they would have had to redo it because Jerry would have been caught cheating by, with the head start. Uh, Duncan's push of Mr. Bevelock also would have been caught and he probably would have gone to jail. But would the car backfiring, would, would they be able to tell that that wasn't the gun? I'm not sure video? how that would be different in 94 than 2016. Yeah. I mean, you could watch it again. You'd hear the bang. You'd see Jerry take off. You'd see Duncan going, uh, not taking off. So would you be able to tell on video that there was any sort of foul play? Oh, uh, I'm not sure. It's a good. It, it's a good question. Yeah, it would be really high. It would the refs would be looking at the screen for way too long there. Yeah, I think also you'd be able to get around that blacklist at Hop Sings. I think that there's these all these third party delivery services that oh, you can true. order from part. on an app. I think that you'd be able to get around the whole Hop Sing debacle. Yeah, you could probably meet them at the at the front, which is they could have done that then in '94, uh, as we like to call it, 19 BD. Yes. I think. <laughs> The uh, the uh, just deliver it to the front of the door was really the way they should have gone to begin with. Also, uh, Jerry and Duncan Meyer would probably already be friends on Facebook. And uh, of good course, point. Yeah. Have George as a mutual friend. And mm-hmm. then I think that Duncan could have gone on Jerry's Instagram or Facebook and seen that he hangs out with George every single day of his life. Every day. Yes. Every I, day. Yeah. We didn't get it. You know, someone will ask a question, at least one person in the. Uh, in the in the viewer email, but I think it's uh, it's uh, you know pretty. It was it, this plan could not have worked a long time with term with Lois, uh, you know, not realizing that Jerry. They would have had to act like they just became best friends yeah. after not knowing each other for twenty years. Would have been a tough sell. And again, I think uh, much less stigma for communism. And as I've predicted, I think that it is on, if not already, on the verge of a big comeback. Uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> If not in 2016, I think at some point uh, it's it's on the it's uh, returning to the forefront. Okay, we'll see how Bernie does first. <laughs> we'll see. He's, he's the first. He's the first uh, person he's the bringing it pick. back. Yeah, 
All right. 75 year old Bernie. <laughs> so Keith, where the man of your dreams, <laughs> literally. Uh, so where does this episode fall in your rankings? Yeah, this is my highest rated episode so far for season six. Oh, wow. Is it in the top 10 in the no, race? Not in the, the top, top 10. Not in the yeah. top 10. I have this all the way up at number 17. Wow. I'm not going to fight you on that. I think that's a good, good call. Probably the most underrated episode of the series or one of them for sure. Yeah, great episode. It's not an episode that's frequently in the top 10 on people's lists, but maybe it deserves to be. Fun show. All right. Let's get into our Seinfeld mailbag. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. It's Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Why don't we start with David? who says, I just finished listening to all of your episodes for the 11th time. Guess I need a hobby. Starting from the first one again, I drive most of the day and play the podcast every seven to seven every day. I love it every time. Thanks for the great show. Wow. Wow. That's a real fan. I have so many questions about like that now for his 12th listener or whatever. I want to know like, when does it get funny? Like, when do we actually, when does it get good? Has yeah. it gotten good yet? I guess. Well, I think, yeah. Akiva, I have so I I responded back to David. I see. I was going to respond. So here's the thing. So we both get these emails, and sometimes I'll be like, I, and I, I've, I'm already on the record as a non CC person. Even at work, if my two bosses ask me a question, I'll just respond to like the one I want to or whatever. You know, the one that's like relevant. Mm-hmm. So now it's like I was going to respond, but then like I'm going to get in the whole through conversation with Rob. I'm like not going to do it. So you responded. So I want to hear. What I responded because I was interested to know. Wow, what are your takeaways that you've listened to? the entire run of the Seinfeld podcast 11 times, I need to know what, like, what did you learn? Like, what were the, what were, what did you like? What, what did you better? like? Yeah. So, and I hope I'm not betraying David's confidence by reading his, his Well, we're email. not saying his last yeah. name or anything about him. So, uh, David said, uh, I would say I'm not as much of a fan of the first few episodes with Akiva's terrible microphone. Okay. That's fair. Uh, I love the weird stuff like uh, the uh, no chocolate uh, kosher food, etc. Loved hearing mm-hmm. about your wife and your relationship and the situations that a work and child uh, create. Like hearing the inside story of the survivor experience. I didn't know I talked that much about that. I think at the beginning, once or twice, you did. Yeah. Uh, I like the podcasts that are getting better each time you do one. Uh, and uh, your comfort level with your co-host has increased over the series. I love the trivia questions, although not a big fan of the long Seinfeld news segments although you do keep them moving uh, if they seem to be long-winded. Okay. They, there's all good notes. Yeah, so right. The first few episodes, the sound is bad. So, And also, it's the first time I ever podcasted. So I, those are throwaways. You so come skip a long them way, baby. <laughs> but I have so many questions. Like, uh, he's got to keep track next time of like who. I know he can't write them down because he's driving. Don't like, you know, write on your iPhone or something. Yes. But uh, I want to know, David, like, you know, we need our list of, you know, how much money Jerry's down. We need to keep that because that's going to come into play soon. Yeah. And we need our list. I want to know, like, the, the worst people list. I don't know if Falconer is going to get that to us. He's cheating on us with other podcasts right now. <laughs> also, uh, David is from Michigan, a uh, site of where uh, Bernie Sanders won the primary. So um, this is episode's very uh, you're, relevant. You're talking a lot about Bernie Sanders. I, I could talk about any of the candidates. I mean, oh, this sure. just, just happens to be an issue that's the closest to I him. guess Sanders was in your dream. Maybe next week will be all about uh, Marco Rubio. <laughs> we'll see. He's still a candidate. We'll see. Okay. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I feel like I don't have any uh, sort of bias in terms of who I'm talking about. No, I understand. No, I don't, I'm not saying you're like, you're, you're a fanboy. It's just interesting he's come up so much. Yeah. Who's the worst candidate of anyone who started running, you know, a few months ago? Like, I would be afraid if Chris Christie showed up in my dream. <laughs> Out of anybody? Um, yeah, kind of, boy, you know. Pataki, be, that would be a boring dream. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, you have some really, uh, they're, 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 I mean, Lincoln, Lincoln Chafee was in this race once upon a time. Yeah. You have all sorts of like the, uh, like the weirdo people that never had a shot at anything. No. Okay. Do you think these people think they're going to win? Like the guys who start off polling at like a third of a percent? Um, I don't know what they're doing. They <laughs> must know. think they're going to win. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's check in with Colin, the delivery guy. He writes and says, so what's up with Hop Sings? They blacklist Elaine for refusing to pay for food she didn't order? I guess Hop Sings fits in with the rest of the businesses in the Seinfeld world. Joe bans Kramer and Jerry for complaining about his fruit. Larry is trying to kick the gang out of monks for speaking loudly. And spoiler alert, the soup Nazi is booting customers left and right and center. Quite the entrepreneurial spirit shown by these Manhattan business owners. Akiva, the business owners in this Seinfeld universe, uh, they do not subscribe to the customers always right. No, only, only the mall security guy. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it really is uh, not exactly a, uh, a, a very... Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk would not approve of the way any businesses are run. Was he a customer's always right guy? Yes. Except if it's him. Except if he's the, not the customer. <laughs> then he's right. Um, I, think, I think that... Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's almost like, I don't need your business... Get out of here. Well, the only customer that that uh, that ever listens to Jerry gets deported. So I'm not sure if, you know, I'm not sure if they, you should be listening to the Seinfeld gang. But, yeah, it's uh, the, the fruit guy is so quick to, to kick everyone out. And it's true. Every mom and pop store, they just disappear. Nobody's listening to, to the customer. Yeah, it really is very pessimistic worldview all around where the customer is always getting screwed by the business owner and the employee is always getting screwed over by management. Yeah. It's almost uh, the Daily Worker would really have a similar opinion of this. Yeah. uh, All right. So Colin uh, also adds in, uh, the truth is, though, that people actually do get put on the do not deliver list at our pizza store from time to time. Here's an example of what it took to blacklist somebody from one infamous customer at Colin's Pizza Place. Okay. They -hmm. complained to the driver that the delivery took too long, even though it was there five minutes earlier than the quoted time. Okay. They attempted to grab the food from the driver's hand without paying first. That's a no-no. They verbally abused the driver when the driver refused to give him his food. What do you call him, a pinko? <laughs> and he followed the driver to the car when the driver attempted to leave the premises and kicked the driver's car as he pulled away. The kicking a car thing. I've never pulled that one off. Yeah, I know that's never a good. Yeah, don't kick the yeah. car. Now, you have to actually pay for the food before you can handle it. So if I'm going to order a pizza, I feel like I might like put the pizza down before sure. I sign the credit card right. thing. It's never like one of these deals where like I don't trust you. All right, on three, Rob. Yeah, okay. You put the money, money down. The you drop the pizza. I'll put the money down. <laughs> <laughs> this guy must have been belligerent before you know, the, in, the uh, you know, exchange happened or something. Okay. All right, let's take an email from Andrew, Akiva's childhood correspondent. We have an Akiva's childhood correspondent? Yeah, I don't know why Andrew's <laughs> piping up now after 96 episodes, but here he goes. So who, who is this? this? is actually somebody you know? Yeah, this is my oldest friend, Andrew. <laughs> okay. Andrew's, Andrew's only note ever for the series was he doesn't like when we come up with questions to ask Jerry. <laughs> That's his least David favorite didn't part. mention that. He didn't mention that in his uh, 11 times through. Okay. Andrew says, uh, I enjoyed your soup ranking, especially since I've eaten many soups with Akiva over the years. However, I was disappointed you didn't go into greater detail about the matzo ball. First of all, floater or sinker? It's got to float. Can't be too dense. Akiva, do you want to weigh in on this floater or sinker? No, I agree. It's got to float. If it's, if it's dropping to the bottom of the bowl, you're in trouble. Secondly, size does matter. When we were in fourth grade, Akiva came to my house for the weekend and my mom made matzo balls that were not large enough for Akiva's liking. 
His exact comment to my mother at the dining room table, if I recall, is this was a pathetic excuse for a matzo ball. Sorry, Brenda. <laughs> a good matzo ball should be somewhere in between a golf ball and a tennis ball. I didn't have the most tact when I was like eight years old or nine years old. Yeah. So wow. I may have accidentally insulted his whole family. Akiva, I'm also very jealous of you that you have uh, lifelong friends. Oh, he's my only lifelong friend. Don't be too jealous. Yeah, I'm very jealous. I don't think I have any lifelong friends. Uh, we, yeah, we've been friends since the second grade. Maybe not after this email, but we've been friends since then. Yeah, you won't get one email from somebody. Oh, I've, I've grown up with Rob. And, well, and uh, even if they are your friend, they're not friends enough to listen to the podcast. No. Although I don't think, I, don't think uh, I have many friends who listen to the podcast, but you can't ask. It's not like, hey, do you listen to the Seinfeld podcast, by the way? Yeah. The closest thing I have is my wife, and she doesn't even like me. No, and she doesn't even know this podcast. Exists. Right. It would never. Okay. Lindsay writes in and says, this episode was one of the rare occasions when Jerry's story was my favorite. What is the 2016 equivalent of Elaine's boyfriend being a communist? Is he a Trump supporter? It might be harder to tie that into the other storylines, uh, but the controversy around him being a communist probably doesn't really hold up. All right. What would be the equivalent of Elaine's boyfriend being a communist? I don't think it's a Trump supporter. I don't think so either. Um, and not, not like uh, Paul O'Neill, a uh, future uh, Seinfeld episode guest. <laughs> um, I think, what about, uh, what if they were like an ISIS supporter? Like an, oh, I've got a good one. No, because it would not be, there is no intrigue to like, it wouldn't be like, oh, it's sexy. He is. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, that was, that's bad. A 9-11 truther. That's the answer. He's a truther. Yeah, mm. maybe maybe like a different conspiracy theory. It doesn't have to be 9-11, but it could be, you know, it could be like Oklahoma City. Yeah, or, I think you're on the right track. How about he's in the Illuminati? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or yeah, he's like, so, yeah, he's in the Illuminati. But then that would be a good thing, right? I guess so. Then you're hanging out with Jay-Z. <laughs> so I think that's probably closer to it. I think it's sort of like, oh, he's involved in like sort of this sort of underground world. Like, uh, right. This it can't is be awful where the person's totally irredeemable. Right. It's got to be something controversial. Right. Also uh, wants to know, did either of you have weird high school rivalries that were never resolved or ended up getting settled? My biggest rival in high school and I were always in a passive aggressive battle for the best grades in being the most boring rivalry of all time. Long story short, we've been dating for the last eight years. So happy ending. Whoa. Wow. That is happy ending. Yeah. Wow. Like a whole Jim and Pam story. Or, uh, or Pam and Pamela. I don't know. <laughs> she doesn't say it's a boy. Did you have a high school rival, Akiva? Yeah, but I was just talking. I didn't really have a rival, but this guy who was really good at football was so into football. He was too good. He had to be official defense. He was never allowed to play offense because he would score a touchdown on every possession. Yes. So this kid who intercepted the ball, he wasn't even on a team, so he didn't care who won. He just ended up being mad afterwards that he would you know, yell that I cheated. So I guess he wasn't my rival, but I guess that would be the closest thing. Okay. All right. Dan, the benefactor, writes in, if you need a theory of why George can just walk into Steinbrenner's office whenever he wants, I think that you can now put that to rest. He did it for the first time as a continuation of his brash attitude from the opposite. But after this episode, he single-handedly has given the Yankees exclusive access to the vast reservoir of Cuban baseball talent. He probably set the wheels in motion for the Yankees to get El Duque. Of course, Steinbrenner is going to let George do whatever he wants, regardless of his official title. So yeah, the El Duque thing was set in motion. But El Duque, in all fairness, uh, I believe that they talk about famously that he got on a raft to come back from Cuba. Sure. Yeah, but maybe, but how, how, why did he sign with the Yankees? Maybe the George connection led him to the Yankees as opposed to the other 29 teams. Yeah. So let's see. Here's the list of baseball players who have defected uh, from Cuba. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, I mean, did this pave the way for Aroldis Chapman to come to the Yankees in I 2016? I think the pipeline 
from Yank- <laughs> Yan- Cuba to the Yankees has been you know smooth since George Costanza was there. Yeah, uh, he didn't help the Yankees land Cespedes. No. Yeah, I'm trying to see if there's any other notable. I feel like it's mostly dried up. You know, maybe 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 Chapman grew up in Cuba watching Seinfeld, mm. so he wanted to sign with the Yankees. Is that why Cespedes wants to be a Met so badly? Because he knows that Jerry is always at the games? It, it's possible. I mean, Jerry, you know, Jerry really begs him on Twitter. Like he was begging him to resign. So. A Cespedes for the rest of us. That's right. <laughs> wow, amazing. Okay, Craig from Vancouver says, according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, the line I choose not to run was based on a quote from President Calvin Coolidge, who said, I do not choose to run when he decided to run in the 1928 election, which many people said he was likely to win. This is such an old and obscure reference, even for 1994. You know, it is obscure, but, I, but I've definitely heard it growing up. Now, the question is, do I know it from like social studies class or do I know it from Seinfeld? I'm not sure. So who is the 2016 version of Calvin Coolidge. Is it Mitt Romney or Mike Bloomberg? Oh, Bloomberg. Romney would run if he could win. I feel like <laughs> I mean, so would Bloomberg maybe, but also I don't I think he's too friendly with Hillary to run. I choose not to run. You know what really peeves me about the candidates on both sides? What's that? When they drop out, they never say like I'm leaving the race. It's like I'm suspending my campaign, but mm-hmm. I can come back. They could come back. You know, just be it's, they're such politicians. They're such liars, all of them. <laughs> Okay, Travis writes in and says, uh, Kramer's comments about the daily class system raise a major concern for your marketing efforts rebranding baloney as American salami pitched in the Puffy Shirt podcast. If you're trying to give tired old baloney some pizzazz, you better align it with one of the higher class deli meats like pastrami, which has cachet out the yin yang, baby. According to Kramer's deli manifesto, going from baloney to salami is a lateral move. Yeah, same family. Same family, but baloney is uh, much like, I, you know, I don't know what sort of family we can uh, cite that would be maybe, is almost like... Bologna's Bolo- like the wacky uncle. And I was going to say that like- Bologna is like the Rob Kardashian of the deli meats, whereas there true. are much more popular, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to say that Kim is the salami, and again, this could go in all sorts of terrible directions yeah. at this point. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say who the tongue is. The least popular member of the family is the Bologna. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Even... <laughs> Even uh, the uh, deceased uh, Rob Kardashian Sr., far more popular than Rob Kardashian Jr. Uh, You know what he is in the deli? What's that? He's the juice. The juice. (laughs) He's on the alternate side. Fun fact about uh, Rob Kardashian Sr. Okay. Let's take a question from Amir. Amir writes in and says, why would George's secretary tell on him to Steinbrenner, given that she just had sex with her boss in her office? Isn't she risking her job and that 25K a year if George gets fired and decides to be vindictive? Yeah, it makes no sense. She's got nothing to gain and everything to lose. Yeah. If you, it, it's like the subway says. If you see something, don't say anything at all. It will only hurt you. Well, maybe it's the kind of thing where it's like maybe there's like some sort of McCarthyism she thinks in the Yankee organization where she rats out communist George. She'll get his job. I didn't know. Well, she already makes more than him. So I'm not sure how like why that would be really appealing to her. But I didn't see Trumbo. So I don't know like how it works when you snitch. Do the snitches get raises or not? I think so. I think that there you get like uh, stuff for um, really should have watched Trumbo this week for our homework. Yeah, we really should. Who knew? Who knew? Um, And of course, uh, we are referring to uh, Joseph McCarthy, uh, former manager of uh, the Yankees. Not Brandon McCarthy, who's like the pitcher who tweets a lot. No. Manager of the Yankees from 1931 to 1946. That's right. All right. Uh, Harry writes in. Uh, it says, watching the race last night, 
the wipe-off board behind the counter of Hop Sing caught my eye because I noticed Elaine's name is on it. I thought it'd be interesting to see if any of the other names uh, were Easter eggs for real people or characters, and at least some of them were. Uh, the names are Brown, no idea. Uh, mm-hmm. Pete Papa Nicholas, uh, the, he was the key grip on 168 episodes. He wasn't just any ordinary grip. He was the key grip. <laughs> yes. Uh, Harris, we don't know who that is. Uh, Snacks Harris? Is that it? Uh, Tracy Lashbrook, production assistant for 17 episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allie Bunch. I, I feel like they hated her yeah. and they fired her, but they still put her name on the list. Darren, These are people they don't like, probably. <laughs> Darren Henry, Seinfeld writer, and Norm Brenner, Kramer stand-in and various background characters, including moviegoer in this episode. Yeah, he's in the background of a lot of episodes. Harry also uh, wrote in about uh, the skinny mirrors and said that last fall, a woman went on Shark Tank. I saw that concept. episode. You did? Yeah. She went on Shark Tank and she was like, there are women all over our country. And they have low self-esteem and low self-image. But with one of these skinny mirrors, they can start off their day and feel empowered and feel like that they can take on the world. And they were like, this is a terrible idea. They were all, everybody was out. I am out on the skinny mirror. Yeah. A Cuban who thinks cyber dust is a good idea thought this was a bad idea. Yeah. And also, I mean, the skinny mirrors is a big deal. I mean, the Today Show today on the day we're recording this uh, has has a, a, did a story on uh, skinny mirror on the wall. Is it fair or not at all? Why? What were you doing watching the Today Show, first of all? Is that a rerun in California? I watch the Today Show every day, Cuba. But it's not even live in L.A., right? Rawson reports this morning the start of a special series called Shopping Secrets Revealed. And we're beginning with a skinny mirror, and it's causing a big controversy. Jeff Rawson is today's national investigative correspondent. Jeff, good morning to you. The national investigative correspondent is in on this skinny mirror story. Do you watch the, the, the Matt Lauer uh, Today Show? Yeah, or do I, you watch, watch I tend to watch like the first half hour of the Today You don't watch show. Hoda and Kathy? No, I'm, I'm not watching TV by you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. But if I'm making breakfast, I typically, uh, I, I always see like the first half hour of the Today Show. Okay. Yeah. You're not a Good Morning America guy. Part of my ritual. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> Chester finally wants to know, why would Jerry and George have risked uh, doing their ploy at the coffee shop? What if one of the employees or a regular had come in and said something to give away the game? Yeah, if we've seen the, uh, the manager, who's kind of not really fond of the group, considering George was just banned a couple episodes ago, <laughs> he easily could have put the kibosh on this, uh, on this whole scenario. Yeah, and finally, Chester wants to know, and the whole point of the lie is that he doesn't want to lose Lois over the race, but how is Jerry planning to hide his best friend from his girlfriend. Yeah, it really, you know, George probably had some ideas. He's a good liar, but uh, I don't know. I don't know how well thought that thought out this was past this one. Couldn't scene. they just say that, oh, we rekindled our friendship. We're back to being friends again. Or they could have been like, we were joking. Didn't you guys realize we were kidding? Yeah, we're best friends. All right, Akiva. Yeah. So John, Johnny DeSilvera emailed, of course. And he, we challenged him last week, Rob. Yes. He, he really is a super fan of three podcasts that you do. Yeah. SNL, House of Cards, Seinfeld. And you said he has to marry one of them, kill one of them, and uh, sleep with one of them. Yeah, ding, marry, like kill. To say. Ding, uh, marry, kill. The three shows. Yes. He said, keep in mind, I love all three, but if I had to choose, and he does, he's going to ding House of Cards because everyone in that show is all about themselves and screwing everyone else over to get ahead. Okay. He's going to kill SNL if, just for the characters. They're, too, you know, they're drawn out way too long, and they should be retired or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's going to marry Seinfeld because of loyalty to a show that's still going strong in syndication and has a faithful following. Compared to House of Cards, it's a year-long post-show recap, and I have to give love to a show that I love now more than I did when I was in high school. Now, he didn't say, like, oh, I love the chemistry between Rob and Akiva. You know, Akiva and Rob are two of the great comedic minds in America. Right. 
didn't say anything of that. He he just loves our quantity. Yeah, it's a marriage. It's just it's there. It's you know it's stability. Uh, it's not sexy. It's just sort of like ongoing, and you know, it's like uh, like just it's like there. Oh, it's dinner. Yeah, yeah, it's there. Why do you eat it? Because it's there. Yeah, House of Cards. That makes sense. You ding it. It's like uh, you know, it's a real like. Oh, it's a fling. It's like uh, yeah. ooh, thirteen episodes, uh, like uh, all in a rush, and then we're gone you don't for see a year. it for eleven and a half months, right? And then SNL, like half the time, the show is like, boy, this was a brutal SNL this week. Saturday night, Saturday night, dead. Yeah, kill it, <laughs> kill it with fire. So he likes our oh boy. He, really, we're all about quantity. We're working on the quality, but yeah. right now we're putting the show out every week. We're stability. Okay. All right, Akiva. What is the hashtag for the race? Uh, you, you said something about an etrog. I don't know if you put that in there. But that was great. But yeah. now I don't. What, what was your exact quote? When life gives you etrogs, uh, make oh, etrogade. E t r o g a d e. Etrogade. Okay. Uh, you don't want to do anything about social mediaism? No, I think the better. Forget that. Yeah, boy, in social mediaism, then the people that have the most followers, they they have to share the followers. Everybody, like you, come into Twitter, you have oh, like twenty five hundred followers. Sweet, my sister would have to give me some of her followers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's going to be a fair playing ground for everybody in social mediaism. You could only, you could also only follow like fifty people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, you know, I always rag on you. You follow like over two thousand people, and yeah. I say like, there's no way you could see them. Mm-hmm. It, you know, Kanye West only follows his wife. He only follows Kim Kardashian. Yeah. I bet your wife would love that if you only followed her on Twitter. I think she would not even notice and or Yeah, but if care. you said it, she would for one second be like, oh, that's sweet. And yeah. then she would forget, but it would still be, it, it would be a nice gesture. <laughs> All right. Hire an intern to unfollow everyone. All right. So we got your hashtag. We got everything in there. A uh, very fun episode of the Seinfeld podcast today to talk through the race, which a uh, very underrated episode. Akiva, what's coming up next week for the first episode of 1995? Yeah, we're on the second half of Hammer Time at this point. The first half's over. Uh, we got the switch. The switch. Another fun episode. George might be dating a bulimic person. Uh, Jerry might be dating his girlfriend's roommate. And uh, Babs names names. Kramer's <laughs> name. That is. She named names. Okay. So excited for that show next week. Of course, uh, thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre every week. Uh, puts this whole thing together, edits out all of the horrible mistakes, leaves in probably uh, the, the funny mistakes, I guess. And uh, then also thanks so much to Mike Moore, who does a recap, who antagonized Akiva on Twitter today. Akiva threatened to do a five hour podcast today, but did not come through with that threat. Sorry, Mike. It was an empty threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All is forgiven. We, lo- we love Mike. Yeah. All right. Akiva, anything else? Uh, no, this was fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how the show ages in 1995. And we're getting real close to the 100th anniversary. Okay. Of course, uh, we're going to be doing all feedback for the 100th Seinfeld episode uh, coming up soon. How many I thought we're going to do a musical episode, you said. And musical. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be our Hamilton-type Seinfeld rap. By the way, I, what if we did... Let's, how about someone holds us to this? I think, you know, the Hamilton for the Van Buren boys, because that's the same era, right? <laughs> yeah. Do we, we have to write the musical? Music, we did a full musical for at least a few songs for the Van Buren boys episode. <laughs> All right. We I might think need Mike to, Bloom listens. I think he could maybe write us some songs. We got to hope that Mike Bloom uh, sticks with this podcast. It doesn't turn it off. <laughs> Yeah, we, we need, if there's anybody out there who wants to write some songs for the Van Buren boys, get cracking now. We need Probably a Wiggler also. That episode's going to be like the beginning of January, I think. Okay. Beginning of January next year. 
Yeah, 2017. Okay. All right. So Akiva, great stuff. You can hear more Akiva every single week on the 32 Fans in 32 Days podcast. Uh, the name, which is not really very descriptive of what the podcast is about. Very fun to listen to. Akiva and Chester go back and forth. Yeah, we did, we ranked the, uh, we did a bracket of the 64 greatest uh, living Americans. Who's the greatest living American? Rob, do you have an opinion who the greatest living American is? <sighs> uh, no, I probably do not have an educated opinion on that. David Wright, maybe? <laughs> Not anymore. What if David Wright comes back this year and hits 30 home runs? He's got to be in the running. <laughs> He'd be in the running, but I think that he's a much greater Met than he is an all-time great American. Sandy Alderson. Sandy Alderson, now you're, now you're talking. Now you're Matt on. Matt Forte. <laughs> Matt Forte is to be high up on the list. All right. So uh, thanks so much for checking this out. Looking forward to reading your comments on Post Show Recaps. And in all seriousness, we do really appreciate it when you leave us your comments and your feedback ratings at postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Search for the Seinfeld Post Show Recap on iTunes that help other people find this show. That's your that's your Seinfeld podcast duty at some point. Leave us feedback and star ratings that are honest, and uh, we appreciate it. All right? Uh, not too honest, though. Not, not too honest. Okay. Have a good one, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.